looking at creation, asking the question, why, how, and when did God create the universe? And why don't we go ahead and pray before we do. Lord, I just pray that uh, just tonight would be just a spirit-moved, spirit-taught, spirit-led night. Um, Lord, that you would just let all the truth, that all that you know about, Lord, just be just immersing us tonight. Lord, give us minds that can comprehend. Give me just an ability to teach, Lord, and just to, to speak forth things that I've just gleaned from other just theologians and scholars, Lord. And um, Lord, I just know I've just learned so much again going over it. And, and um, Lord, just we just know that the enemy just wants to water down truth and uh, we want to be champions of truth for you and for your glory, God. Uh, you're a God of truth. You told Pontius Pilate that you came to testify of the truth. And, um, and so, Lord, let it, let it just be something that we can just bask in tonight. Um, Lord, just prepare our hearts to hear. And, um, Lord, prepare us to defend, Lord. And uh, just do that work of equipping in us tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so why, how, and when did God create the universe? Uh, The doctrine of creation defined. By the way, I'm going to let you guys do some verse reading tonight so that it's not just me blabbing the whole time. (laughs) Um, Here's the doctrine of creation defined. God created the entire universe out of nothing. It was originally very good, and he created it to glorify God himself. Uh, Point A here, God created the universe out of nothing. Biblical evidence to that is that the Bible clearly requires us to believe this. Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And I know I have it in my notes later, but the word create is the word bara, and it means to create something out of nothing. All right, so God created something out of nothing. He's the only one that can do that, by the way. (laughs) I certainly can't. Uh, In the beginning, God created. God bara, the heaven and the earth. This phrase includes the entire universe uh, in addition to heavens and the earth. In Psalm 33, verses 6 and 9, it says, By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, and all of the host of them by the breath of his mouth. And then down in verse 9, for he spoke and it was done. He commanded and it stood fast. I put those kind of close together. I know it's a little difficult, but these are just things that impacted me as I read it, especially with, we'll get down later about the different views of creation and did God create over millions of years and things like that. And you know, I think just some of the language of the scriptures just shows us that it was just, bam, you know, he would just speak and it would be done. His word or he spoke or he commanded and bam, it stood fast. And John 1, 3 says, all things were made through him. This is speaking about Jesus, by the way. All things were made through him and without him, nothing was made that was made. Okay. The phrase, all things, is best taken to refer to the entire universe. Acts 17, 24, 
Paul preaching in Athens, God who made the world and everything in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands. I'm doing what I told you guys you could do, but there's some spaces in these ones. So I, I think there's some that don't have the spaces. So I'll read these ones with spaces. Hebrews 11.3 says, By faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. So God did not create the universe out of anything that is visible. Colossians 1.16, For by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through him and for him. In Revelation 4.11, we have the song of the 24 elders. You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will, they exist and were created. In Acts 4.24, why don't, uh, Adam, are you there? You want to read that? And then we'll just kind of go around here. So Adam, Kevin, Jason, in each passage here. So he's the Lord who made the heaven, the earth, and the sea, and he made all that is in them. Isn't that it? We want to give credit to where credit is due, all right? And everything that's in the sea was made by God, except for the Titanic. It's down there somewhere. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> uh, Acts 14, 15. And then, you know why I gave you Acts 14, right, Kevin? Because on Sunday I said, I'm in Acts 14, and you teased me about it for like the rest of the day. <laughs> okay, Acts 17, Jason. made the world and everything in it. He's the Lord of heaven and earth. And down at the end there, he gives life to all, or gives to all life, breath and all things. Isaiah 45, 18, Kayla. Remember this passage just later on. You might just put a star by the Isaiah 45, 18. Hopefully I'll be able to come back to it tonight. Ginger, Revelation 10, 6.
things that are in it, that there should be delay no longer. All right. Romans 4.17b. The Greek is calls things not existing as existing. Because God created the entire universe out of nothing, there is no matter in the universe that is eternal. All that we see, the mountains, the ocean, the stars, the earth itself, all came into existence when God created them. There was a time in history when they did not exist. Psalm 90 verse 2, Linz. God was before the mountains and the earth that he had formed. Why does this matter? What's the big dealio? First of all, this shows us that God rules over all the universe and nothing is to be worshipped instead of God or in addition to God. To deny creation out of nothing means that some matter has always existed and it is eternal like God. This idea would challenge God's independence, his sovereignty, and the fact that worship is due to him alone. This attribute of eternality of God is very distinct to him. If matter existed before God, then what inherent right does God have to rule over it and to use it for his glory? And what confidence could we have that every aspect of the universe will ultimately fulfill God's purposes if some parts of it were not created by him? The positive side to God making everything out of nothing is that it all has meaning and purpose. God in his wisdom created it for something. We should try to understand that purpose and use creation in ways that fit that purpose, namely to bring glory to God himself. When creation brings us joy, as 1 Timothy 6-7 says it can, we should give thanks to the God who made it all. God created a spiritual universe when he created. Um, where are we at? Easy, the Nehemiah 9-6. So he made heaven and the heaven of heavens with all the host, as well as the earth and the seas. You want to read the Psalm 103? Uh, uh, Blaine? Bless the Lord, all you, his hosts, you ministers of his who do his pleasure. So he created them for a purpose in the heavens. They do his pleasure. Um, he had direct creation of Adam and Eve. Eve had no female parent and was taken from Adam. This is New Testament confirmed in 1 Corinthians 11, 8 through 9. For man is not from woman, but woman from man. Nor was man created for the woman, but woman for the man. So though we may be like animals in many ways with physical bodies, we are also very different. We are created in God's image. We studied this last week. And we are appointed to reign 
over the rest of creation. Welcome back, Aaron. Thanks. Get yourself some soup over there, man. Yeah, just, just Aloha and Mazel Tov and all those other <laughs> things. It's Hawaiian. <laughs> oh, yeah, it is. It is. I've been there. <laughs> yep, yep. The creation account places wonderful emphasis on the importance of man in distinction to the rest of the universe. So if you weren't here last week, you'll want to listen to and get the notes for the study of our creation from the image of God. Um, The creation of time. God is outside of the passage of time. In Job 36, 26, Job... Or I'm sorry. Joe, Joe, you know, <laughs> two shall become one. <laughs> Go ahead, um, Jody, Psalm 90. So the fact that God created time reminds us of his lordship over it. He's lord over time. And our obligation is to use it for his glory. Isn't that neat to think of in just worshiping God and his lord over, he's lord over time. He's the alpha, the omega, the beginning and the end. He's got it all planned out and we've got this little snippet of world history to do our part and to live for his glory as he's the lord over that time. Uh, the work of the Son and the Holy Spirit, both the, these two persons in the Trinity also had a, had a place in creation. Um, in the Son, it says, it was through, through the Son that creation came about. In John 1, 3, Will. Right, so repeated there, but that's good. Yeah, without him. Without him, nothing was made that was made. I tripped up on that this afternoon too, and I had to go back and I was like, oh, without him, nothing was made that was made. (laughs) Yeah, I'm glad that I'm not the only one that stumbled at that. (laughs) Uh, Jill, do you want to read the, by the way, this space in this one is the word through, so you can read 1 Corinthians 8, 6. 8, 6? Yeah. So it's through whom are all things. So Jesus, it's through Jesus that creation came about. Through whom are all things and through Jesus we live. We see this again in Colossians 1.16. Some of these are just repetitive in the different teachings, uh, you know, that we've been going through in the doctrine series. So hopefully you're getting the John 1.3 passage and this Colossians 1.16 and 17 is really big. Um, John, do you want to read Colossians 1.16? Created through him. I like that beginning. By him, by Jesus, all things were created. Hebrews 1, 2. Jesus, this is uh, his son, all right? Um, 
God in these last days has spoken to us by his son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds. So through his son, he made the worlds. Jesus is what's called the active agent, carrying out the directions of the Father. Now, the Holy Spirit also had a role in creation. He completes and fills and gives life to creation. Psalm 104.20, Nikki. He sent forth your spirit, they are created, and you renew the face of the earth. And Job 26.13, Paul. Creation is distinct from God and yet dependent on God. First of all, God is transcendent of creation. God is transcendent of creation, which means he is far above the creation in the sense that he is greater than the creation and independent of creation. He doesn't need creation to exist. God is imminent of creation. I-M-M-A-N-E-N-T. God is imminent of creation. Shows God's involvement in that creation depends on him. And we see that in Acts 17, 25 and 28. Uh, Job 12, 10. Adam, I know you just sat down, but uh, are you around that spot somewhere? Okay, cool. Right, so creation depends on him for, for the breath and for the life. In fact, the Acts 17 says it's in him we live and move and have our being. And Colossians 1, 17, Jason. And he is before all things, and in him all things exist. All right. So some popular philosophies of God and his role in creation here. Um, first of all, just the philosophy aspect of it. First of all is, number one, materialism 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 denies god the material universe is all there is is this belief many christians are materialists focusing all their attention on making more money and acquiring more possessions their life would be not much different if they weren't christians if they didn't believe in god they're living for the here and now they're so earthly minded that they're no heavenly good You've heard that saying, materialism. Then there's pantheism. Pantheism, P-A-N-T-H-E-I-S-M, pantheism. Pantheism basically says, in a very new agey tone of voice, (laughs) all is God. Okay, you have to say it like that. All is God. Pantheism is the view that God is everything, okay? God is everything, and God is everyone, and that everyone and everything is God. Pantheism is similar to polytheism, the belief in many gods, but goes beyond polytheism to teach that everything is God. A tree is a god. A rock is a god. 
An animal is a God. The sky is God. The sun is God. You are God. I am God. We are God. Okay? Etc. Pantheism is the supposition behind many cults and false religions, Hinduism and Buddhism to an extent, and the various unity and unification cults and mother nature worshipers. It denies several essential aspects of God's character. He is no longer unchanging. He is no longer holy. He no longer has a personal identity, and neither do we. Pantheism. Dualism. Do, uh, do you A-L. D-U-A-L. <laughs> I-S-M. The only person that I've had to talk to today is Lainey, so... <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. Dualism says good and evil exist side by side and equally. This is also known as the Star Wars philosophy. Okay, Creation was not created good and God won't finally rule over it. Okay, And then there's deism. D-E-I-S-M. That basically says God is not involved. God is not and never is directly involved with creation. He's kind of like a divine clockmaker. Now, many lukewarm Christians are deists since they live almost totally devoid of genuine prayer, worship, fear of God, or moment by moment trust in God to care for needs that arise. We want to be careful to not become deists. In fact, one extreme to being a cessationist, all right, and believing that the gifts of the Spirit aren't active today and that we don't need the Holy Spirit is deism, right? That, that we can just do it on our own and we're just detached from God. That's kind of an extreme of cessationism. Uh, God created the universe to show his own glory. Hope you're, hopefully you're getting that drilled into your mind over the last couple weeks. Even uh, for people, where were we? Who's reading? Is it your turn, Kayla? Yeah. Okay, cool. Isaiah 43, 7. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I have created, for I am the Lord. I have formed him. Yes, I have made him. Man, are you guys catching just all the different verses about creation? <laughs> just how specific they are? I think a lot of cre- uh, of uh, critics against creationism, you know, they just haven't studied all the scriptures and just the, the depths of why we've even be, been created and things like that. But um, he's created people for his glory. He formed people. He made people, what we just read, uh, even inanimate objects. And I looked up Psalm 1912, and I think I had the wrong reference written down there, so I need to look that up. But the Revelation 4.11, again, this is, um, I think, the 24 elders worshiping. And uh, do you want to read this one again? You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they exist and were created. So all things uh, were created um, for his glory. Um, As you inspect creation and as you inspect all things, like our bodies and our hands, and you even look at how leaves work on a tree or how cells, how just intricate and the function of a cell in a body or in anything, it shows God's wisdom. Uh, We were created for his glory, 
but he didn't need to create us as if he needed more glory. So he, you know, he's like, receives a, a battery charge, you know, the more glory that he gets. So he better create some fuel stations or something. Um, he had plenty of glory within the Trinity for all eternity. We read of that in John chapter 17. God is independent and doesn't need the universe to be fully God. Creation was a totally free act of God. He chose to create. And the creation was made very good. Uh, God declared it to be good at the end of each stage of creation, kind of poetic as we read it last week. It's good. It may be enjoyed. Uh, Paul says that to deny that is the doctrine of demons. And let's read 1 Timothy 4, 1 through 5. Who's on that one? Stephanie? All right, so note all the references to creation in this passage. Uh, verse 3, God created marriage and foods so that they'd be received with thanksgiving as we know the truth. And then verse 4, every creature of God is good and nothing's to be refused if it's received with thanksgiving. So uh, God has created things to be good and that they can be enjoyed. All right, so there's, that's, uh, there's a lot of freedom in that. Um, there's the relationship between Scripture and modern science. Sometimes we need to re-examine the Scripture to make sure that we have interpreted it correctly, but when all the facts are known and understood, there will be no final conflict between science and Scripture. Uh, don't be afraid to study science or examine Scripture. It'll eventually always wash out to be that Scripture is true. As Hebrews 11.3 says, by faith, all right? So it's by faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God so that the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. So part of that is faith, okay? But there's also understanding of that, all right? There's also understanding. I'm interested to watch the Bill Nye the Science Guy and the Ken Ham you know, debate. I haven't gotten to watch that yet, but <laughs> maybe that'll be the post-school of ministry part. No, I'm just kidding. I'm not even going to put that on my wife at all. Unless she wants to stay up late and watch the Ken Ham debate. Whoa. Yeah, okay. It was really long. It was like two and a half hours. Did you watch it? I watched clips of it. Okay. Clips are good. Um, when science may seem to point to something else, we still believe the scriptures, knowing that when all is said and done, it will be found true. The scriptures will be found true. And you'll probably remember this quote from um, back when we looked at the inspiration and inerrancy of the word, but I just loved it so much I want to read it again. From A.W. Pink uh, and his gleanings on Genesis, he says, The faith of the Christian rests not in the wisdom of man, nor does it stand in any need of buttressing from scientific salvos. The faith of the Christian rests upon the impregnable rock of the Holy Scripture, and we need nothing more. 
And this is a big thing in, in studying creation. Like, do you believe that? Because there's a lot of Christians that don't believe that, that this Holy Scripture isn't all we need. They don't believe that God's word is sufficient in and of itself and that the explanation of creation is enough. He goes on to say, too often Christian apologists desert, and apologists is just defending the faith. Too often Christian apologists desert their proper ground. For instance, one of the ancient tablets of Assyria is deciphered, and then it is triumphantly announced that some statements found in the historical portions of the Old Testament have been confirmed. But that is only a turning of things upside down again. The word of God needs no confirming. If the writing upon an Assyrian tablet agrees with what was recorded in Scripture, that confirms the historical accuracy of the Assyrian tablet. If it disagrees, that is proof positive that the Assyrian writer was at fault. In like manner, if the teachings of science square with Scripture, that goes to show the former are correct. If they conflict, that proves the postulates of science are false. The man of the world and the pseudoscientist may sneer at our logic, but that only demonstrates the truth of God's word, which declares that the natural man receives nothing, by the way, sorry for all the typos, <laughs> nothing of the spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. Neither can they know them because they are spiritually discerned. All right, so just a great uh, insight from Pink there on don't flip things upside down. You know, when the Assyrian tablet says something that, you know, is in line with scripture, it doesn't mean, oh yeah, finally we've proved the scripture to be right. It means, oh good, the Assyrian writer was, was right. Because we would just default to the scriptures are always true. So what does the Bible say about creation? But yeah. Okay. Okay, cool. Awesome. Thank you. I went to 119. I went to 29, thinking I'd maybe push the wrong button. So thank you for that Psalm 19 one. What does the Bible say about creation? It's a theological history more than a scientific textbook. When it starts out by saying, in the beginning, God. As Galileo actually said, the Bible exists not to tell us not to tell as much how the heavens go, but how to go to heaven. God made the heavens and the earth in Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, God. It's the word Elohim, which is the plural form of the name of God. The plural form. And it's 2,300 times referenced in the Old Testament. In the very first book of the Bible, we find the Trinity the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. We see Jesus' involvement in creation, the Holy Spirit's involvement in creation. In the beginning, it's the word Rashid, and it actually does speak of an indefinite period of time. God created that bara, which means something out of nothing. He created the heavens and the earth out of nothing. And he created for life. In beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In Genesis 1-2, the earth was without form and void and darkness was on the face of the deep and the spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. This is a, a great passage, an interesting passage. 
Uh, it says that the earth in the beginning was without form and void. It's the word, uh, without form is the word tohu, which means wasted, empty, and worthless, okay? And then void is the word bohu. <laughs> I'm not making this up. Tohu and bohu. Uh, <laughs> bohu means it, ruin, okay? So at this place in verse 2, the earth was wasted, empty, worthless. It was in ruins. Uh, it was uninhabitable. It was a wilderness where human life was not viable, okay? Some people believe that it was between verses 1 and 2 that Satan fell. As you read Ezekiel 28, 14, and so and on through the rest of the chapter, you have kind of a, a history and account of this angel, kind of the worship leader in heaven who sinned against God and fell. Uh, Franz Dutz, I don't know, I'm not saying his name right, but he's known as the greatest Hebrew scholar uh, by some. <laughs> he translates it that the earth became without form and void. So perhaps there was some history there where uh, Satan fell, all right? Because by chapter three, we already have this fallen angel and his uh, manipulation and his temptation of the Adam and Eve into sin. Uh, in Greek cosmology, the Greeks believed that the earth was a hunk of mud that evolved over time. And English translations back to Tyndale's time took that ideology, all right? Uh, we read of this darkness that is over the face of the deep, that there was either no sun or God had started it all at nighttime, <laughs> and uh, the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. A Spirit of God participating in creation, participating of what he'd intended for human life. The word is brood, like a brooding, like a mother hen brooding over her chicks. So there's some different views of creation, various views of creation, many opinions, at least six different. First of all, historic creationism, uh, which Augustine was a proponent of. It says the earth is very old, older than human life, created in eternity past, and in six days God prepared the earth for human life made man and woman, and the six days are literal. Earth is old, but humanity is young. Okay, that's historic creationism. Young earth creationism says that God made everything in six days, including heaven and earth. Both earth and human life are very young. The gap theory gap theory, says that the earth is old. There's a gap between Genesis 1-1 and Genesis 1-2. It could be billions of years. After the creation of the heavens and the earth, there was a calamity, a rebellion of man or perhaps the fall of Lucifer, and the earth was destroyed and God had to recreate the earth. Uh, in this gap theory, Adam and Eve were the second try at created humanity, and currently this is perhaps the second succession of human life. Some problems with this are that there's no verses to support this. Um, God called it very good when he created, not the 
result of a, a rebellion or not from the result of a rebellion. Fossils don't seem to confirm this, but confirm young earth creation only. The literary framework view says that Genesis 1, yeah. Um, I don't, I believe it's because of the, um, what do they call, I'm not much of a scientist, but the, I think the layers is what I was getting at, but I want to have Johnny come in and historical record and the fossil record and the, you know, you're missing things and things like that. So it seems more that there was, go ahead. Okay, cool. Hey, we got a college boy over here. So <laughs> I'd love to have Johnny come in and teach. He's taught to our Truth 101 class in Corvallis, and he's a scientist and, you know, Christian biologist, and he's just got neat things to, to teach. Um, he's very humble as he teaches it, which is a key when you're studying this, you know. Um, the, thank you, Jason, by the way. I'll have to put that in my notes for next time. Uh, literary framework view states that Genesis 1 is poetic and the six days were not literal days. So it's just poetry. The day age view says earth is old, humanity is young. The days were not 24-hour periods, but day, days of long periods of time that were thousands, perhaps billions of years long. The theistic evolution view is that evolution is true and God is behind the evolution. God is working behind the process and God is sovereignly working through or over evolutionary process. This view denies a purposefulness of creation. When God created it, he said that it was good doesn't seem he needed three million more years to perfect his design of a mouse. Theistic evolutionists believe that God would step in and intervene, but this would take the randomness out of evolution. You might as well have no evolution at all instead of a thousand failed attempts to create something. Um, now, in studying this and the different beliefs, there's what we learn in doctrine is like closed or open-handed doctrines or closed beliefs, closed-handed beliefs and open-handed beliefs, all right? Uh, a closed-handed belief on, on creation would be the Bible is true. There's one God who created the heavens and the earth, all right? And that's what we would stand on uh, at Calvary Chapel, all right? Uh, the open-handedness of it all is, you know, how old is the earth? How exactly, what was the process that God made it? Are the days literal 24-hour days? And there's a lot of hatred. There's a lot of division between some of these questions. But what we would say, it's closed-handed. The hill that we would die on uh, is that you need to believe that God created the heavens and the earth. Uh, we can discuss and debate without division. And we can all study this um, and present in humility. But there's a close-handed part of it, and there's an open-handed part of it. Um, 
What does creation reveal about God? Psalm 19.1 that Ginger mentioned is that the heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament show his handiwork. Day unto day utters speech and night unto night reveals knowledge. This all shows God's character, his handiwork, his ability, his majesty, even the inanimate objects, as this verse goes with that passage or that note. Romans 1.20 tells us, since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Man has this witness in their hearts of a creator. They see it as they look at the, at the uh, creation, that the attributes of God, his power, his majesty, his omniscience, his omnipotence, you know, all these things that we studied a couple weeks ago, the attributes of God are seen even in creation. Uh, and um, his eternal power is seen, his Godhead is seen. People are without an excuse. What creation reveals is contradictory to atheism, that there is no God. Creation is, what creation reveals is contradictory to deism. God is creator, but is not involved in his creation. Or pantheism, that God is in everything. Or polytheism, that there are many gods. God is eternally uncaused. Uncaused. And pre-exists before his creation. God is living. And life comes from God. God is independent. And the rest of creation depends on him. God is transcendent. And is separate from his creation. God is imminent and is actively involved in his creation. God is personal, and because of that, we have personality. We're made in his image in that way. God is powerful and made everything from nothing by himself. God is beautiful, and creation reflects the beauty of God. God is beautified, that's what it says. God is orderly, and creation is orderly until sin entered in and marred creation. God is good, and everything he makes, he declares to be good. God is a prophet who preaches to his creation, preaches his creation into existence by the force of his word. God is good, and everything he makes is originally good. God is gracious, and he blesses his creation. Quick questions on the, are the six days of creation literal 24-hour days? Do these verses actually say, on Sunday God did this, on Monday God did this, on Tuesday God did this? No, they don't. Uh, those who hold that these are not literal days would say, first of all, it's poetic. But even though it's poetic, it could still reflect a literal meaning. 
Okay, poetry can still do that. The Hebrew word for day, yom, doesn't always mean a literal day. Sometimes it's used to refer to the day of judgment or the day of the Lord, which is actually a, a time period. Um, I personally believe these are literal days because uh, the scripture says on the first day, this happened. On the second or second day, this happens. Oh, my notes is misspelled. Scripture says uh, morning and evening, very descriptive of a day. The Ten Commandments say this in Exodus 20, verse 8. Who's up for reading here? I'll let someone else have a go at it. Is it Lindsay, you want to read that? Exodus 20, verses 8 through 11. So there's another reference in the scripture as to this time period, and it's um, linked to like the days of the week and the need for the Sabbath. Um, I think uh, these interpreters also take the passage out of, is it First Peter? It talks how, about how um, you know a day for the Lord is like a thousand years or something like that, and they will read um, kind of that into the creation account. How old is the earth? This actually doesn't matter. As much as all the other points, there's two views. Uh, old Earth, they believe uh, it's 4.5 billion years old. And then there's Young Earth, uh, 6,000 to 20,000 years. 20,000 is still young. It's encouraging. Um, James Usher from the 1500s calculated all the genealogies and discovered that the Earth was about 6,000 years old. Um, there's some gaps in some of the genealogies there, which could be a problem to that math. Uh, the old earth um, takes scientific radiometric dating, saying that the earth is about 4.5 billion years old. Um, young earth says that the flood compressed the earth so that it looks old because it's been through a cataclysmic event. Young earth says that God made a mature earth. Adam and Eve were created as adults, not as zygotes. Trees had rings and rocks had age when they were created. Old Earth says, um, we sound silly when we don't believe science. And B.B. Warfield uh, actually um, believed that genealogies were incomplete and not useful for this calculating. Um, Genesis 1.1 says the word beginning in the beginning, it's Rashid, is an indef indefinite period of time. Um, as uh, Driscoll puts here, God isn't concerned about the earth's age, but that God created the earth. Uh, what's important, that human life as we know it is young, agreed by Christians and non-Christians. Homo sapiens were young. They only show up in the fossil record in the last 10,000 years. <clears throat> human life, uh, six days are literal, and humans are six to 10,000 years old there. Where did creation come from? We looked at this. We're going to kind of skip over that. Uh, some problems here. Number five, what are the problems with atheistic evolution? Uh, there's two different types of evolution. Uh, uh, Microevolution, 
where a species is able to adapt to its environment and macroevolution, a species comes from nothing. And so we see, you know, um, that species change over time, but they don't become other species and things like that. So it'll be great to have Johnny in here at some point and have him uh, do some some neat science things for us. Uh, maybe on a on a Wednesday night, that would be great. But um, in Charles Darwin's book, The Origin of the Species by Means of Natural Selection uh, or the Preservation of Favored Races and the Struggle for Life, he states that whites had out-evolved blacks and were superior. Uh, Marx and Hitler would use this Darwinian um, principle to base all of their wars on. As Christians, we do not reject science. We reject naturalism that there is no God and he doesn't have anything to say or do with the world. Apart from a Christian worldview, you don't have the ability to do science. You only have chaos. The assumption assumption that nothing made everything is right up there with a whirlwind that made a watch. I think someone once said, you know, take apart a fighter jet and put it in a giant box and just give it time and it won't turn into a fighter jet with all the parts right there. Um, at no point do we see something that was made from nothing. The more complex it is, the more intelligent we assume its maker to be. The idea that chaos made order. No designer made something that was designed. And there's a fine-tuning argument. A man named Hugh Ross, kind of a modern scientist, speaks of, life and conditions that are finely tuned to live in an environment that will sustain human life. Uh, Let's see here. It's odd to have the thought that impersonal matter created a personal humanity. We who have a mind and a conscience and an intelligence and morals, the thought that the unintelligent could make the intelligent problem with evolution, the transitions in the fossil records, they throw the variable of time in to try to explain, yet there is no transition. There's missing links and such. The inability to replicate evolution in the last hundred years, been a problem. The idea that it's just always been here and the Big Bang cosmology, what was before the Big Bang? What, how did the elements get there that would cause this explosion? A problem with evolution is the second law of thermodynamics states that every system goes from order to disorder, not vice versa, not disorder to order. I think it was actually a watch that was put in a, <laughs> put in a box and that it would you know, be all disordered, all the pieces of the watch, and all over time it would like be made into order. It goes against the second law of thermodynamics. <clears throat> uh, the fact that we have time and the creation of time, and where did that come from? The meaning of a purposeful life. Uh, one article said that those who do not hold that we were created by God and are going to God will always have the end result of suicide, to have the idea of kill yourself and get it over with. Bertrand Russell, in his Mysticism and Logic, said that only on the firm foundation of unyielding despair 
can the soul's habitation be built? Richard Dawkins, an atheist, a man that's hostile towards the idea of God, when asked, does your view of reality make you depressed? He answered, I don't feel depressed about it, but if somebody does, that's their problem. Maybe the logic is deeply pessimistic. The universe is bleak, cold, and empty. So what? So if you come from a no one and a nowhere, you don't have love, compassion, joy, thoughts. You have no soul or spirit. You're just a collision of random particles. And depression often comes from that idea. Romans 1, 18 through 32 says that there's always going to be worship. And you're either going to worship the creator or the created things. We've been created to be worshipers. So one-ism, one-ism says you don't need God, you can be God. There's no distinction between a creator and creation. This is the root of pantheism. This eliminates distinction between God and his creation, men and animals. There are no morals, just cultural opinion. There's one gender, one spirituality, one divinity around and in us. I am God, he is me. It's kind of this one-ism. Two-ism says there is a God and everything that exists has been made. You're not an accident made from random chance. You are loved and known by God. This God hears and answers prayers. He's alive and he's coming again. We have a purpose. We exist for a reason, to worship him. And we worship him because he's worthy. As we've read, this is the third time, Revelation 4.11 you are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they exist and were created. What is the chief end of man? To glorify God and to enjoy him forever. So there's a lot of good resources out there on creation, um, it's a fun thing to study. It's been a while since I've uh, studied a lot of the science behind it in depth. And uh, it'd be a fun thing to do with you guys. But we're going to pray, take a quick break, and then come together, hopefully, for just a little discussion time with you guys. Um, you guys can get some more soup and things like that. But Lord, we want to worship you. We declare you to be worthy of all honor and glory and praise tonight. Lord, even thinking of what's the, the end of um, the school of ministry, Lord. And it's certainly not just to be equipped, Lord. Lord, we are doing these things for your glory, God. And we happen to be just enjoying you as we learn more about you. And so, Lord, give us minds that can comprehend just the, these deep things of you, Lord. We pray that we would have humility as we share with the, the non-believers out there or someone that has a, a different uh, view, maybe a non-essential view of the time frame of the earth and the time period and such, Lord, just give us humility, Lord. We know it's a turnoff to the world when we're prideful in the way we witness and share about our creator. And so, Lord, we just pray we would just have a good aroma to the world and the way we share about you, God. Lord, just uh, be over our uh, just fellowship time here for the next couple minutes and just be honored and glorified in Jesus' name, amen.
Okay, why don't you guys go ahead and take a uh, break, grab if you want some more soup, and we'll come back in a sec. You've been listening to Pastor Rory Rogers, pastor of Calvary Chapel of Crook County, located in Primeville, Oregon. For more information on this ministry, or if you'd like to contribute, please feel free to write us at P.O. Box 378, Primeville, Oregon 97754, or check us out further at our website at www.calvarycrookcounty.com. We thank you so much for listening, and we pray that this ministry has blessed you.